Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning. And I'm delighted to say that Johnny Sisson is back with us. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Good morning, everybody. It's snowing. <laughs> it's, very, it's very cold in Chicago, I believe. Cold and snowing. Well, uh, Johnny missed a really informative chat last week uh, with Matthew Duclos of Duclos Lenses, uh, where Carl and I had a, well, we had our knowledge considerably uh, enlarged um, of the world of cinema photography. Um, So thank you again for being a a great guest, uh, Matthew. It was, uh, yeah, it was a really, really interesting chat there. Um, Now, this week, we're going to have a bit of a catch-up uh, because uh, the three of us uh, gear acquisition monkeys have been up to quite a few things over the last few weeks. So uh, so perhaps, Carl, uh, you might want to go first. Well, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the photography that I've been doing than about things that I've bought, but, I, but I'll, I'll, I'll do both. So um, I don't know what, what resulted in this change, but I've been shooting film more than digital for the last couple of weeks. And um, actually today will be a good day because when I get home, there should be six rolls of, uh, of developed negatives in my mailbox ready to scan. And that'll be nice. I should, most shot on the, um, on the BESA R3A, um, a couple shot on the old Leica 3A that I had cleaned. And then uh, I, haven't, I haven't shot any 120 film yet. So, um, so <laughs> I, um, I've, I have a, a friend here in town, um, Anthony Rue, who owns a coffee shop, and he collects vintage cameras, and he's been loaning me some cameras. So I um, had a, an opportunity to twice um, shoot uh, a 6x9 Kodak Metalist II, which is just the coolest-looking camera. Um, now, the best photos I got were pictures that I took of the camera with my digital camera. <laughs> Because, because the first time I took it out, I was so in awe with the camera that I was thinking about the camera and how cool it was, and and I and I wasn't thinking about just uh, focusing on framing nice photos. And so I think one picture was an okay photo. And the second time I took it out, um, I think two of the photos were okay. So I I don't have a great track record with that. But the image I've been getting with my best, of course, are, are really good. That camera is a, a, a dream to use from my perspective, and largely because of the viewfinder being so clear. It's just, it's wonderful. And, uh, but I've got this, this um, folding four, six by, four and a half by six um, range finder, and it's an early Konica camera, and it's a Pearl 2. And um, it's beautiful. There's a guy in Florida who's a collector, and he's selling off of his, off a lot of his gear. And, uh, it's bad because I keep looking at what he's got for sale and I want to buy more of his things. But um, each of the cameras that he sells has them professionally cleaned and they're like brand new and perfect when, when they come. And I've seen about six different ones and I have I have one of them. But this little pearl, it's this little small thing and it almost would fit in my mom jeans pants pocket when it's closed. It's it's not. You a, said it, not me. I know. It's not. I mean, it's not a. <laughs> it's not a giant camera, even compared to like a little a little um, pen. Yes, it's heavier and a little bit bigger. Yeah, but it's a really small, medium format camera, and um, you know, pops open um, with the door from the side, and then uh, real simple operation with, a, with an aperture dial and a shutter speed um, a shutter speed dial and uh, and a trigger that you set right you know right on the front, and um, 
I'm going to give it a go this week. I, I, I haven't had anything that I've wanted to shoot with it. and uh, But I've got a trip later this week along the coast to, to a meeting in a little fishing village. And I think there's going to be good opportunities for shots. So I'll take a, a, another roll of 120 along and, and try to get a couple of rolls with that. Um, let's see, lenses... I have bought actually, a actually, Cole, Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Can I take you take you back to you that yeah, yeah. that Kodak that uh, you you had to go at the, the, the medalist? Yeah. yeah okay. It was, um, you've been using a, a medalist too. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I want to just bring this one up is because um, I'm sort of jumping ahead of where where I am because I've I've picked up I've bought a medalist one or just a medalist um, mm-hmm. because the two came after and uh, they didn't name the first one a one, um, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just finding that a, a really really interesting camera. I've actually taken it in to be serviced because there's a, a few things not quite right with it. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm just curious about your your experiences with that camera. But there's but one one thing that jump, jumps out at me uh, because when I first uh, looked into this camera, I cannot remember where this one came into my uh, knowledge. I don't know if it was one of the many things that Cheyenne Morrison might have talked about at some point or not. But uh, but it's got the the lens on it. It's a hundred millimeter Ektar. Uh, yep. lens and it's a five element lens and i think it might be a heliard design i'm not 100 sure about that but that lens was in- incredibly well uh rated uh back back in the day as in it was a, an absolutely excellent lens in fact lens the the kodak lenses uh, of that era were just generally viewed to be pretty much as as good as they get i mean i, I read something yep. there recently about some of the the uh, Kodak lenses and that the uh, when Hasselblad first came out with their uh, their cameras and this is predating the 500 cm I, I can't remember what the first one was but uh, certainly one of the early ones it might have been the uh, the thousand maybe I don't know perhaps uh, somebody could uh, enlighten us on that one but a lot of people were actually uh, using uh, or rather taking the lens off the medalist and, and using it to the Hasselblad. So I, I guess it must have been one of the very early Hasselblads with a focal plane shutter, so you could uh, work it that way. But it's it's meant to have a, a truly superb lens. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to get some good shots out of that when you when you get back out with it again. Yeah, you know, right. At some point, maybe I will. <laughs> no, but um, I'm, I'm really put to shame by, by photos that I see online. If you go on Ken Rockwell's site, for example, he had one of these, and it looks like he was in Yosemite and, and some other places out west. Maybe it's all Yosemite. And the pictures are just phenomenal. They're just they're beautiful. And then I've seen some color shots. And there's one in particular I remember of a, of a soldier sitting on a bench. And it's just it's just, it's beautiful photo. And, um, you know, it's these huge six by nine negatives. And um, I've had it out twice, and I've not gotten any photos that are even close to this first of all i don't have this i didn't have the subject material second of all i'm not as good a photographer as these people um the developing is different and um the only thing that i've not gotten used to with the camera that's a little bit annoying um is and i don't know how the one is with you that you have is it to, you're holding the camera and you, you have a shot ready to go and you put start pushing down on the shutter release and it's so freaking hard to push down the button and then finally, and so you're thinking, oh, something's wrong, and it's not ready to go yet. And then you check because if you don't have it wound completely to the next frame, it won't it won't cock the shutter. So so I check that, and then and then you start pushing again and thinking, is it going to go? And then you get to the 
very end, and then there's this tiniest little click that doesn't even feel like anything when the shutter goes. And um, it's just an attribute of the camera. I, it might be better to use it with a with a cable shutter release, but I think if you do that, then you have to re then you still have to push that button to reset the shutter. But you've um, I, I I don't know that that is part of the experience that I'm not real hot on. It's uh, well, I've I've not actually had chance to use it yet, and it's it's not with me at, at the moment. I can't actually remember the shutter being particularly difficult. Um, so it, that might be uh, just something that's uh, uh, concerning your 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 camera there. But it's it's the few things that come to mind with it when I use this camera though is one just how heavy it is. I mean, oh yeah, it, it's as if like the whole thing is just completely solid and lacks any air in it whatsoever. Um, it's it's a really really heavy camera, and it's it, you know it's a it's a fair size, but it it just every time I pick it up, I think should it be that heavy? It's just it's uh, yeah, so it's particularly heavy. Um, but another another interesting feature it has is is the the way you focus it, or one of the ways you can you can focus it, because you have um, a viewfinder, and, and this is not. It, this is a lens a camera without a, a mirror so it's effectively well it's actually a rangefinder camera but but the but you actually have two um viewfinders effectively um and you can say you know say barnack cameras the ltm 39 Leica cameras have viewfinder, two viewfinders but it's a different arrangement and uh, where, where you've got your main uh, viewfinder is at the top and then there's a smaller window underneath and within that window there's a split screen like you would have in, a, in an SLR. Um, is that, was that the same as on the Medalist 2? Is that the same setup, Carl? It's the same and it's remarkable because when you look at it, it looks so small that you think, oh my God, I'm going to look through those little tiny peepholes. They're so small, but um, it's very clear. The viewfinder is beautifully clear, and then that the the I mean the the rangefinder window looks like it's a grain of rice, <laughs> but when you but when you put it up to your eye, it's it's just beautiful, and it's and it's the most bizarre thing because it's two uh, elongated rectangles, one above the other is what you see with a line between them, and um and as you focus the lens, the two parts come together until they're in alignment, and then you're ready to shoot and. It's way easier to, to get it into focus, from my experience, even though I haven't gotten many good shots, than, um, than looking at, a, at you know, a typical rangefinder patch and a rangefinder camera. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. That's, that's my experience too. When I'm, when I'm using it, I don't, it was, I'm, I'm increasingly, as John is telling me, uh, getting to the point where I'm just not a fan of rangefinders. Yet this is a rangefinder camera that I'm 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 seem to be perfectly happy to use. Although it's it's also incredibly well appear well it appears to be over engineered as well. Um, just, just it's got dials on it. It's got lots of lots of things going on it that uh, you wonder. You know, is that truly necessary? And and the the way that you focus it is it it has like an exposed double helicoid as well. Which is yeah, it has that bizarre. really strange looking helicoid that comes out the front. That's really cool looking, and that's why, um, like I said, the pictures that I took of the camera I think are really cool in and of themselves. But right, it has all these dials on the top. The um, the pearl actually has that one thing on the top of it that um, as you're focusing, there's a little there's a ring that's turning and it's telling you you know what distance you're focusing at. But it also has a scale that's giving you the um, the hyperfocal distance. At a, at a particular at a particular place, so you, and um, if you can pay attention to looking down at that while you're looking through something that's on the back, but they both have that feature. 
And maybe they were both made in the same era. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's, there's also two ways of cocking the shutter. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, because you can you can actually... When, when there's film in, in the camera, you wind as you wind your film on, that will cock the shutter. Yeah. But you can also cock the shutter by this little small lever that just sits to the to the right-hand side of the viewfinder as well. And if you turn that, that will actually cock the shutter for you. So I don't know if that would be the way you would get double exposures. I'm not sure. You can, you can do that and get double exposures. And so when I've used it, I've kept that locked so that that doesn't happen because I didn't want to shoot double exposures. Because hmm. that won't, right, that'll cock the shutter, but not advance the film. Exactly. So that's kind of a cool thing if you like to do double exposures. I have enough trouble so far taking up a single exposure that looks okay, let alone worrying about trying to do a double exposure. So one and one more thing of note, and that's I'm I'm assuming uh, uh, your your friend loaded the film into the camera for you, or did you do that yourself? No, he loaded the film into it, and then he took he took it out and developed it. Yeah, I don't know if you well, the the reason why I assume that might have been the case is is because it's it's not a one twenty camera; it's a six twenty camera. I know, so he had to respool it and then put it in. That's yep. it. So, well, uh, I mean, I've been looking into potential ways of, of getting around that one, but it, it seems that you know, you've, you've got to do something uh, physical to the camera to be able to change the, well, to en enlarge it slightly to enable you to get 120 rolls in there. So, which sounds a pretty difficult thing, and that can also have a knock-on effect with the, uh, the, the, the film counter and things like that. Um, Johnny, I don't know if, if you've got any experience of playing around with uh, 620 films. Um, a little bit, you know, the person we need to have here is Mike Ekman. So, <clears throat> because Mike, um, so Mike has worked with this camera quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I remember last summer when Mike visited Central Camera, he had one of these around his neck, um, and shot it and had some great test shots. So I, we will throw a link to Mike Ekman's review of the medalist in the podcast notes, but, um, I am assuming Mike probably discusses that in detail um about the film thing um i i assume you're just going to respool it onto 120 i don't know how problematic that is with uh fitting it into the you know the camera or not no uh, it's 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 a not it's pretty much a non-starter i mean you I can okay. you can um trim down a 120 spool yeah. i believe yeah, um, but it sounds like there's, it's probably as just as easy or as difficult to just uh, do do it in a dark bag or a dark room and just roll your one twenty onto a onto a six twenty spool, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that that's what I would say is probably the way that you do it because it's you know it's not that hard to re 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 spool a roll of it from you know one to another. It should fit pretty well. So, so the um, the review by. We should do a link to Ken Rockwell's review. It's, he always does good reviews, but this is one of the best reviews that I've ever seen. And what I like about it is it has a huge number of very large photos that he took in black and white. And they're all, every one of them is just a killer photo. I mean, it just knocked it dead with these photos. Now, he was in Yosemite Park and he was able to shoot some just grand scenes. But, um, but he, I mean, he, and, 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 you know, he always has a um, good, a bad and a missing thing, and under bad he has nothing. That's what it says, nothing. And and, and he also said, I like this, um, this is a real man's six by nine medium format camera, not a pathetic little medium format digital or a worthless foreign made um, 33 by 44 millimeter sensor, not much bigger than a 35 millimeter camera. 
Uh, in fact, the camera makes images that are 3.28 times more area than those wimpy little 33 by 44 digital cameras. Girly man imported 33 by 44 digital cameras have a 1.82 crop factor compared to this 100% USA made camera. There you go, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was hoping Johnny was going to start chanting USA for me there. Uh... <laughs> so it's a manned camera, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but then I have this little um, pearl, and I, I don't suppose it is a man's camera, but it's, it's a wonderful camera. <laughs> not with a name like Pearl, is it? It's not, not like a name like Pearl, but I can carry it around in my backpack with me all the time. And um, with my other gear in there, it just fits in a small pocket. And um, so it's like a half frame medium format. It's a four and a half by by six, but I think it'll I think it'll do some some cool shots. Um, one of, the, one of the things that's a little weird about it is you have to cock the shutter before you can get the shutter speed to go all the way to 500. It'll only go yeah, to... Yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> that's very common with uh, older, okay. older... Yeah, that's that's real common with older shutters. A lot of Roloflexes like that or even like that. So. Okay, and then the other thing that with, the, with it is... Um, <coughs> so as you're focusing, it's nice. It's got a little tab to focus with, and um, then you can see the helicoid start coming out. It looks cool. It doesn't look as cool as the metals, but... It, Looks pretty cool, and um, you have to make sure that it's back to infinity before it closes, or it won't close yeah. back up. Yeah, it it, it should be up. noted this was a very high end camera when it came out in 1941. I mean, this is you know, some of it seems sort of clunky to us now, but I mean, it was it was very much state of the art at the time, um, and I mean, it's still it's still still pretty formidable camera for what for what it is which is why they're expensive and they're sought out it's designed by the same guy that um designed the uh bantam so it's kind of a it's always been kind of a big deal camera and and it has a really fantastic lens on it so um yeah it's definitely a special one so and and Johnny has already told me that if I ever sell it, I need to sell it. I need to sell it to him. Oh, I but thought you were talking about the the uh, medalist. You're talking about the oh, uh, the medalist, pearl now, the right? pearl. No, the pearl is the one you told me that about. Yeah. Oh yeah, I want the pearl. I don't want the medalist. I want the pearl. You want the pearl because you want to carry it around. I like six forty five. I like yeah. six forty five medium That's formats. Cool. Yeah, I don't want to carry around a medalist. Yeah. yeah. So um, what else? Yeah, right. I I bought. I did buy a, a couple of. I, I mean, I have to buy some digital camera lenses. So um, I've had super tuckamore 105 2.5 2.8 lenses before but i've never used one on my sony um i like them okay but i i don't know they never that, that focal length never did anything for me on um, apsc or on the olympus it always just seemed like an odd focal length and so i, I had them and i realized well, they were good but I, I sold them along and uh so i bought another one because there was one um for sale on eBay from a U.S. seller, and it's in perfect condition. It looks like a brand new lens. The optics are perfect, and I got it at a good price. And um, I've I've done some you know, abstract shots and some other things with it, and it's performed well. Um, I haven't taken it down to the. Uh, what I want to do is do some people shots with it and see how it compares to um, the Nikkor 105, which is what I usually use if I go to a farmer's market or an outdoor festival or something like that. But um, I was ready to go. I had it on my camera, and then I thought, I'm going to take this new Raynox lens instead. It has a little bit longer reach, and I'm going to talk about it in a second. And it's another lens that I bought, a Raynox 135 2.8. And the, at, at the last minute, I changed again, and I thought, well, you know, I like to shoot wide open when I'm down there at 2.8, and this lens isn't that sharp. And I put the Kamini 
135 2.8 on there, which is I've, which I've had for years, and I got some fantastic shots. So, um, <laughs> so I, the two new lenses I got, I didn't get to try um, in a crowd. So um, this Raynox lens, two episodes ago, I think it was, or three, we um, got into a discussion about this lens because um, we had an email from Chris Holland, and um, Chris talked about a, a Raynox lens that was a real sleeper lens that people probably had never heard of before, 135 millimeter f2.8, and um, he, he talked about the, the beautiful bokeh that it produces and just raved about the lens. And um, Simon bought one during the show, and then, um, which usually I do, but, but Simon actually bought one during the show. And then the next day I found one, and there, there were none from U.S. sellers. So I, I bought one also from a U.K. seller, and we both paid, I don't know, 22 pounds, however many dollars that is, is what I paid for it. And and um, you, you bought the more expensive one. I, I snagged the cheaper I, one before you. I got the I got that more expensive one, and I had to pay postage from the UK too, right? But I have to, you know, it's a it's a good lens. And then uh, Cheyenne Morrison commented on the Facebook page that oh yeah, it's a really special lens because the uh, it makes bokeh that's um, and he used the phrase wet on wet that it looks like it looks like um, wet 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 watercolor on on a wet watercolor background. And um, I, I haven't been able to do that yet. I like the bokeh; it's it's a little bit different and a, in, more interesting than than the Kamini lens that I have. Um, and I can't. I used to have eleven one thirty fives, and I can't compare it to all the others. Um, it is it isn't as good an overall lens as the Jupiter eleven, but I don't I don't think I've ever had one that is. Um, it isn't as sharp, wide open as the Kamini. Um, and I knew that because I had played with it earlier that week. And so I didn't want to take it down and try to take pictures of people. Um, and, I, and and Simon has made one photo that I think looks like wet watercolor. And it's like that, that horrible photo of the, I think, a window open on a shed or something. But below the windowsill, it looks like the, the wet paint dripping down through other paint. It really does look like that. So I haven't I haven't been able to do that yet. The, the closest I've come is a photo of a of a stick or something with a graffiti in the background that's all blurred. <laughs> that's all blurred. I haven't taken any really serious pictures with the lens yet. But I think, um, I think we've, we've I, both been guilty of trying trying to do those um, shots for, uh, bokeh for the sake of bokeh. Just I, I, put anything have. you can find in focus, just so you can see the look at the outer focus area. I know we have. I know it's terrible. It's terrible and. Now Johnny loves this lens, and so uh, I'm I'm I am biting my fucking <laughs> tongue, and you guys know it. You guys know it. So yesterday, you, yesterday, you, I, I, you guys are you, that wet on wet shit is so far up my ass right now. I am, I can taste it, and I, I it's driving me crazy. It is like, it is the worst thing I've seen come out of the, the whole classic lenses thing in ages. And you got, you guys got punked. You guys got punked on this too. You got set up. 
So, so yesterday I posted a photo of this <laughs> picture that I took of a of a stick in front of in front of this this graffiti, and uh, and, and for Johnny on our we have a, a private um, chat thing related to the podcast, and then I said, um, but really, you know, what I've mostly been shooting is black and white, and I, I posted some pictures there of people in the photography group of, of mine, which I haven't put online, and and so Johnny puts, um, I'm. I'm glad to see you're um, starting to do real photography or something like that. I forget what you said. <laughs> so okay, well, uh, well, I, I've, I've got. I think I, I want to say something about this lens as well. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I, 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 I don't think that uh, Carl or I have been punked at, at all on this. So. I, I don't think so. It's, I, there is, there is something. Oh my god. <laughs> There definitely is something uh, going going for this lens, um, uh, and actually, I've, I've just got the original email in front of me from Chris Holland, and um, and we've been, uh, well, it's certainly a case that uh, Shia Morrison is absolutely yeah. to blame for yeah. um, taking Carl and I over the edge to to, to buy this one um, when he started yeah. talking about this wet on wet boker and all this kind of stuff. Well, actually, uh, I've only I've just spotted that. Yeah, because we've been we've been blaming Cheyenne um, for this wet on wet thing for for a while now, but it actually turns out that was actually in Chris Holland's original email. Uh, yeah, ah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, we we really should give Chris more blame, but um, yeah, uh -huh. uh, certainly uh, Cheyenne took took us took us over the edge. But just it's a it's, it's just describing this lens I have in front of me now. It does look uh, like um, you know, your standard generic. 128 millimeter lens of, of of the day, which is I assume late 70s, early 80s, like that that kind of era. Um, but it is different because it, when I first and we did talk, try to work this one out when we we're just looking at pictures when when we had this uh, um, topic come up, and it does look a little bit different from the from the usual suspects. And with and some of the uh, conversations that we had on it, well, in the Facebook group, um, I think David Lloyd. Uh, pointed out that he believed this was actually by a company called Kimco. That's C I M K O, um, which is a company I've, I've heard about, um, or heard of, I should say, but know very, very little about. But it it does feel different from the the lenses that I've had. So uh, perhaps this could be my first Kimco lens. But I would I would echo uh, Carl's experience with this. I you know it does not it is not a particularly sharp lens. Um, but what it does in the in the outer focus areas is is very very nice. Now, what neither of us actually know is if we're taking the photo, the, you know, these these photographs with a different lens at the same time at the same light and on the yeah with the same camera, would would we, it produce a a different result? And I think that's that will be the proof of the pudding. So. Um, it could well be that this lens is something a little bit special, or it's just a matter of the uh, the marketing department at the time saying we've got this lens. It's not very sharp, but it does it does nice things in the background because it can't do sharp. Yeah, so, uh, and that's right. where this wet on wet may may have come 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 about. I don't think anybody in the day ever marketed backgrounds. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, I think that may be a new development. This could be where it came from. This might be the originator of it. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> but you know, and the other thing that's interesting, and I don't know if yours is the same, but the um, the focus ring is the same style of focus ring 
that we hated on yes. the Carl Zeiss Jenna 135, which we both had and sold, I think, because we didn't like the way that it felt. That's right. It, it is, although I've, I've got to say, I think it actually feels a little bit better. It's um, not quite as rough. Huh? Precisely, yeah. 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 Yeah, the Newlin is, 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 is less sharp. It's not that expensive, Johnny. You ought to try one. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't need another junk 135. I don't shoot that focal length anyway. No, you got you guys. You, that's why I say you got punk. You guys, if if you took this lens with all of its flaws and you just found it somewhere and somebody hadn't, somebody hadn't set the wet and wet thing on fire and then somebody else from Australia hadn't like continued to push that, you guys would be like, this thing is a piece of crap. You wouldn't put up with all those flaws. You wouldn't put up with that lens doing that stuff if you just came across it. This is a special lens we've oh, we've, that we've no it's, we, we've just we've, we've discovered it and it, I mean this is worth one hundred and fifty dollars probably now. Definitely, if we were to, no, you're right. It is if definitely you're, if we were to if we were to that. if we were to, if I was to sell this now, I mean yeah, you that's can't what I mean. There's this is the only one in the U.S. That's right. It's definitely classic lenses podcast endorsed, and you should probably buy <laughs> Carl's and then buy Simon's. <laughs> Okay, so that's I'm I'm done. <laughs> that's all fine. Well, I'm just 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 think about it. there's there's um, it's it's an it made an interesting point there, Johnny, about when you when you said about because a couple of people have said something that it's now sort of grown into something that it never was in the first place, possibly. But that that just reminds me of like when you have a situation where um, whether whether it be art or something like that, some some things don't become good until a number of people say that they're good, and you don't necessarily know who those people are, whatever. But it's things can sort right. of get a life of their own, can't they? And uh, and and I think that's something that perhaps we all do when we look at our own photographs, and we I think to myself, mm, it's not that good, and other people like them, and you know, because you tend to be you know highly critical of them. But I'm just wondering what it, what it is actually. Um, Tip, takes people over the edge on certain types of photography to, to or, or equipment for that matter so for them to become all it takes is a demagogue <laughs> i think it's i think no i think it's a i think it's a the guy who i think chris is right it's a sleeper lens it's a very rare lens and i'm starting to think that it's not fair that i only have it that, that it needs to get passed along so someone else can enjoy it sometime but um but it's it's a real special lens, and now we've proven it. So the I'm not joking. The price is way higher than what than what we pay. <laughs> it's almost as much. It's almost as valuable as a Helios um, 44 in your camera shop. Yeah, I wish we could get some more of those $99 Helios 44s. <laughs> so 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 Johnny, what what have you been up to? Well, aside from yelling at you guys with this damn wet on wet stuff, that's taking up an awful lot of my time and energy. So, <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I actually b b b sort of bought something for the first time in a long time because I really don't, I don't really buy much in the way of lenses anymore. Um, but I did, I did buy one thing, and it does not. This, this, I will just say in advance this story does not have a happy ending okay um so i saw a uh, a lens that um has been kind of on my radar on my list for quite some time I, I i've i've talked here in the past quite a bit about the canon 
35 f2 ltm lens which lives on my canon p which lives in my camera bag um and i have always wanted to get a second copy of that lens because god forbid something happens to the first one i don't want to have to spend several months trying to find a second one and they seem to be going up in price by $50 every 60 days. So <clears throat> I, I've been looking around for another version of the lens. Um, and what I came across is actually uh, the, the, a similar lens, uh, which is the, the Canon 35 1.8 lens, which um, were, predates the F2 lens by, I don't know, four or five years or something like that. Um, obviously it's a slightly faster aperture that, that, that wasn't really my attraction to it. My attraction to it was, um, that it was reported to be in, uh, mint condition and from a U.S. seller. Um, and those two things, uh, are, you know, are definitely important to me and it, you know, full returns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so I get the lens and, um, it is indeed beautiful. It's, uh, you know, original caps case, uh, very clean. And, you know, I do my typical inspection on, on it as I would any lens for myself or that I would take in, you know, for the camera shop. Um, and everything's looking pretty good. And then the weirdest thing I notice while I'm looking through, you know, I'm doing the typical close-up inspection with a, um, a flashlight and a magnifying glass, which careful trying that at home if you haven't done it because it it may show you things that you think are really bad that aren't bad or it may show you things that are bad that if you don't know how to interpret it might be confusing but anyway um i'm looking at it and everything looks great and then i i sort of i noticed this weird um this weird something and and actually i couldn't see it when i was doing the typical lens inspection which i usually do you know very close up to the surface of the lens but i had this thing held out kind of at arm's length and I noticed it, what looked like, um, it's hard to explain it, but in that sort of the right dead center in the middle of the lens, it looked like basically I would call a raindrop on the lens. And you know how if you look out a window and there's raindrops on the window and you get that effect where um, the the raindrop sort of magnifies things. And, you know, like if you look at the into the raindrop, you can kind of see you know, details, magnified, that sort of thing, right? So this lens looks like it has a raindrop on it. I'm like, what the fuck is that, you know? So I'm looking more closely, and really, it's really hard to see, but what I figure out is that it appears to be a bubble, a large bubble, <laughs> right uh, smack dab dead center in the rear in the rear group. So I'm thinking it's a bubble between the two cemented elements. It, it, it so it almost it would be like separation or something. It's so big, but it doesn't look like separation. It's a very clean edge. So it, it just basically looks like a really big bubble. So I'm thinking, oh, well, it's a bubble, big deal. I mean, the bubbles don't really usually have any effect on anything. And lots of lenses have bubbles. Lots of vintage lenses especially have bubbles. Um, and it's typically not a big deal. So... So I put on a camera and I'm taking a couple of test shots and I don't really see anything stopped down or um, wide open. But then as I stop down, I realized that this bubble is so big <laughs> that how big you guys are supposed to say, how big is it? Oh, size, do, size. Do, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, size doesn't, yeah. Size doesn't uh -huh. matter. Right. It's stories, lies you want to tell yourself, Carl. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, I, as I, I realized as I stopped on this lens at, at F 22, 
the F22 opening on this lens. The bubble is essentially the same size as the entire aperture opening. <laughs> That's how big the bubble is. So so I did a I just did a quick test where I put the lens on a on on my copy stand and I I took a shot at every aperture and starting at about I mean the lens is soft wide open it gets sharper quick by you know four f two point eight to f four it's a really sharp lens but by five point six in the middle of the lens I'm seeing the soft spot like literally seeing the you know it's softer in the middle. And then as I stop down, it's getting softer and softer. By the time I get to 22, it's like this gigantic blurry spot <laughs> filling the entire center of the frame. And I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, I've never seen, if it is truly is a bubble, I've never seen a bubble do that, but I've never seen a bubble this big in a lens before. So uh, long story short, this lens is going back. Um, I'm really disappointed because this thing, it's beautiful. It's working great. Probably it's beautiful and working great because whoever shot it, if they didn't realize that it a bubble, they're like, man, this lens is shit. It's so I like blurry when I stop it down. What's wrong with this lens? And somebody probably threw it in a drawer and never used it. So that's why the lens is in great condition. Um, I guess I don't want to call the seller out here because it took me a good 10 minutes to see this, this thing on the lens. And it was, it's, it, it was only actually when I held it away from my eye, like towards a light that I saw it. Uh, it's not something that you would find like closely inspecting the lens. So I, I want to give the seller the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I'm not going to call them out cause it, I think it could have truly been overlooked. Um, but it's, I mean, the lens is, it's, it's trashed. I mean, there's no way you could use this lens because you'd stop it down to F8 and you're always going to have a big blurry blob in the middle of the lens, which is exactly how I'm going to shoot this thing at F8 and F11 doing street photography. So it's, it is a useless paperweight. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I wonder, yeah. Johnny, if it's, if it's the same problem that you, that many of the Canon 50mm 1.2s have, and it's the, the coating is just broken down. And it's, and it's, and it's no, it, it, it doesn't look like that. I mean, the, the, the glass is like, you know, it's got a typical little um, specks and stuff you see in old glass, but it, it's literally a, a big round dot. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it before in, in like as far as a defect in a lens goes. So it's the coating looks entirely intact. There's no, there's no haziness to it. There's no, you know, there's no bubbling around this like fine bubbles which sometimes you see in coating or in um, elements when they start to break down you see a lot of really fine little teeny tiny bubbles it's not like that at all um, this is like a gigantic freaking air bubble <laughs> so it's really it's really really odd looking um, so I think that the lens is otherwise like in terms of uh, optically is otherwise like it's perfect you know so it's just though it's just the weirdest thing. I've never seen it before. Anything like that. What if it's oil so I'm, or what? I'm rather disappointed, you could say. But it's probably a good thing because I really didn't have the money to spend on it anyway. So whatever. What if it's oil or water? No, I, I don't I don't think so because if it I think if it was either of those, it is such a big droplet. I mean, it's definitely not water because it would be yeah because i you're you're right carl though at first i'm like well maybe because you know it was really cold when it showed up you guys heard me complaining about the cold at the shop it was that cold day and the lens was really cold when i opened it up i had to let it you know temperature wise even out but if it was water it would have moved yeah if it was oil that big 
I think it would have moved and it just doesn't look like either one of those things. It, it really looks like it is like a squished bubble inside the glass. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So I, I, that's just the most bizarre thing. I mean, I've seen some weird stuff looking into lenses, but I mean, a bug would have been less weird. <laughs> I mean, Carl gets bugs in his lenses all the time. Yeah. I've had but, bugs twice. And right. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of like those, um, things that you called worms and that um, LTM 51.4 lens where I couldn't see it with, with a bright light, with yeah. any kind of inspection. I could not see it. And, and I had it for quite a while before I realized it. And it was shooting a particular kind of photo. And then it was, it was immediately apparent. And I already had given it a five-star review and the whole deal. And um, I just felt like, you know, I'm st- I, you know I, would, I, I don't, I probably could have sent it back, but it was from Japan. And, um, I felt like, you know, I'm, you know, that's my problem. I didn't expect it properly, but, um, yeah, but it's, it's one of those things that can be hard to miss. I mean, in fairness. So, yeah. and I, I, I could have probably pretty easily missed this one cause I was essentially done, you know, with what I would call a lens inspection. And then I kind of held it up. I'm like, what is that? because <laughs> it you know how you have that effect you look at a window and if the background is light it looks darker looking through the drop you know what i mean and kind of the lightness and the darkness of the background will move around so it's like the opposite of the background i don't know if that makes any sense but you know raindrops in a window that's exactly what it looks like it's just it's the weirdest thing <laughs> it's like having a little magnifying glass within the lens, like an extra element, like a little extra mini element. <laughs> and I actually, I actually have uh, one test shot that I did with it where the background is entirely out of focus, but in that dot, you can, you, it's like, you can read letters from the, <laughs> the, 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 I had it held over like a printed thing and you can read letters in this dot in the middle, but the background's out of focus. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, just just thinking when you, uh, I mean, Carl was just talking about um, with that, you know, his, his famous worm problem and uh, yeah, um, with uh, balsam separation, um, which is it sounds like that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, but no, one of the so. things that um, I picked up uh, recently, and we'll come on to more things I picked up because I picked up a lot of stuff uh, recently, um, but. I was particularly excited about something that was, I bought a load of stuff um, as part of a trade deal and it was a, or is, what's it now? It's a Steinheil lens, a Steinheil macro quinar, 100 millimetre f2.8, uh, which is a lens I didn't even know of uh, before I, I bought this lens along with a few other things. Um, but I was particularly excited about it because the thing is boxed and uh, apparently mint and I was I, I looked at it and uh, it looked in great condition except the uh, uh, the iris uh, blades were slow because there was oil on them and they and it's the kind of iris that you don't want any oil on um, but I think well okay that's that's fair enough I can get that dealt with uh, but uh, when I got it home I, I, I it was like the first thing I went I went for was when you've buy a load of gear you know it's, it's a case of you, you tend to pick out what's the most interesting thing do you want to play with first and that was that was the item i wanted to get to first and i, I took it out in, in my house and the, and the first thing that i noticed was an absolutely enormous amount of balsam separation uh at, at the front of the lens almost going all the way around and 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 going in a probably you know almost half an inch into the lens absolutely enormous 
bought some separation. I just could not believe that I didn't see it. I mean, I had a good look at this lens. I shot a light through it and all, all the things you would normally do. And I, I could not see it at all. It's not, it's, and it's interesting. It's not the first time this has happened to me as well. Because it happened to me, uh, and I've mentioned on the podcast, with a uh, an old Yena uh, 50mm 1.5. Um, a similar thing happened to me there. So it's, it's just amazing sometimes how just different lighting conditions um, can make such a huge difference when, you, when you're viewing your lens, especially when it comes to balsam separation. Yep, it's uh, it's it can be tricky. I mean, you, it's like sometimes it's a dead giveaway because you see that kind of if you hold it under normal light and you see that kind of rainbow effect is the most common way I think that separation shows up where you just you know what I mean you kind of tilt it back and forth and you see that rainbow sheen and typically it's right around the edges but sometimes it's more than just around the edges and that that's a dead giveaway. But I, I know what Carl's talking about. I've seen that too, where you, you really don't see it at all because it's just literally right on the edges and there's no rainbow sheen to it. And it, it's just the only way you see it is you might see a little line running around the um, periphery of the lens. Actually, I, um, we just, we've sold at Central Camera. I, I, I kind of pulled out all the large format lenses. We had a lot of them and I started throwing them all up on eBay. So I, you know, I got a really good look through all of them. Um, and there were a couple that had uh, some separation just like that around the very periphery of the lens. And it typically it's like a sort of uneven wavy mm. line all the way around the edge of the lens that varies in width. And I had a couple of, uh, I think they were both Schneider lenses that had exactly that kind of separation. And I mean, I, I, I listed them as such on eBay and they both actually, they both sold and, and really with a large format lens, you really never going to see that because you're, you're pretty much never using that full periphery, but, but it's there and it's just really hard to see. And I almost missed it looking at what, through one of these large format lenses because of the way the cells are in a large format lens. Um, they're tend to be really wide at the front, really narrow at the back. So it can be really hard to see. Um, and it's just, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you just gotta, you gotta like learn how to look for really carefully is just look at the edges, you know, of the, of, of the lens really, really carefully. And also I think even learning how to see the position of, um, different lens elements, uh, different groups of lenses within the lens, you know, there, you look at a lens diagram and you've got a series of individual elements that are grouped together that are cemented or airspaced, right? And you have to kind of learn how to be able to see the different groupings of lenses within a lens. So your eye has to be able to kind of like focus where it can't focus on something, if that makes sense, right? Mm. Um, so you, you can learn how to do it, but it's it's tricky. And yeah, this is a tough one. I think it's probably the hardest thing to figure out, um, you know, look, looking at lenses that you, you, you can miss it, so... One of the things about balsam separation, though, which I don't think we've really talked about, and you've sort of touched upon it there, actually, and that is, and that's the times when you actually get to see the balsam separation in the photograph. And I think that, well, mm. well it's certainly the, the case that you, you you get these bokeh worms and things like that when you when you shoot in wide open or nearly wide open. Um, but I suspect you don't really get a problem at all when you when your lens is stopped down. No. Nope, because you're not you're not using that periphery of the lens, you know. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is what is so weird about this thing with the Canon lens I'm talking about. You would expect 
you know, as you stop down, you usually expect uh, defects to become less noticeable. And in this case, it's like more noticeable yeah. because the defect is dead center. So, I mean, if, it, if, if that big bubble thing had been on the edge <laughs> of the, this lens, I probably would have just kept it because wide open, I, first of all, I'm not going to use it wide open very much. And second of all, it, it's, you wouldn't see it because it, the, you're using the whole kind of glass area, right? Taking the shot. But when you stop down, it's literally putting the entire image through that big, big bubble, you know? So if it had been yeah. on the edge, it would have been in the part of the lens not being used stop down. But no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Simon, Simon's right, though. When I, when I got that original LTM, uh, 51.4 it came on a, a, a canon p body and um for for several weeks i just shot film with it and i, I almost every shot was at f8 a couple yeah. at f11 and i had fantastic images i thought this is great i just love what a great combo and then it got around christmas time and i thought i wonder how this will shoot um because I used I take shots sometimes at Christmas time with uh, things with the christmas tree in the background to make really nice bright bokeh balls and that was it <laughs> so, yeah so, right. I thought, what the hell is this <laughs> the Cause you're, edge all yeah because you're not i mean that's the other thing like you take film shots even like film shots where the lens is relatively wide open yeah. the the bokeh is much smoother and you you typically don't see as much of the um the you know lines and things like that in the bokeh i mean like cheyenne morrison's <laughs> tests with the uh 75 1.5 biotar if people haven't seen those yeah, we've had it there's been a whole conversation about it this week in the classic lenses facebook group that that lens looks entirely different on digital versus film because the bokeh on film it softens out and it's really beautiful whereas on well some people would say it's beautiful on digital but in digital you actually see all those lines and everything um, and yeah, you, you, it's just, you're not going to see stuff like that in the bokeh on film. It's just going to like the grain and everything just swallows it up. But you, you yeah, on digital, you're going to see it for sure. There's yeah. a, there's an important thing that I think we should just mention as well, because we've been talking about the, the position that when you have bolster separation, it tends to be around the edges of the lens and you've described your, uh, the problem you've had with your, your Canon 35 1.8, because the defect is in the center of the lens um but there's one thing that we've not really touched about and that's the actual position of where the defect is within the lens itself as yep. in front, front uh, to yeah. back and yep. and that makes absolutely enormous difference as well because you can have a pretty tatty front element and bad things going on with the front element and Definitely. and hardly see any problem whatsoever in your photos including on digital including wide open all this kind of stuff um yeah. whereas if you've got a defect well, the, the the further it gets to the rear of the uh, the lens, the more important that defect is going. The more likely that defect is going to show in your photos, isn't it? Yep, it's that is true, and and that's probably again the case with this sad little Canon lens is that that defect is literally right at the very the very back last group. So it's just there's no way it sits close enough to the you know the film plane. There's just no way it's it's you're gonna miss it i guess had it been in the front maybe it's actually a good story i have um i have a, i have another lens um i have a uh the lens is from a kodak bantam which is a i want to say it's a 40 what a 45 or a 47 f2 um and i'm talking the bantam this is the 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 black camera with the white line i think it's oh, deco. It, the, 
Yeah, the art. I hate that camera. I hate it. I hate it. I hate I the Bantam. Send me hate mail. I hate the Bantam so much. It's ugly. It's garish. <laughs> it's a pain to use. It uses an 828 film. It makes eight exposures on a roll of film, folks. Eight exposures on film you can't get. Anyway, so I bought a Bantam and and um, very promptly ripped the lens out of it with with great pleasure um, to to use on other things. And I noticed when I got the, I uh, actually, I think I might've noticed it while I was buying the camera is that um, it had the classic, um, I call it snowflake separation in the front element. And it was all the way in the front group. So the first cemented pair of lens elements in this lens, which by the way, that lens is a biotar is I, I believe this is true. It was the first commercially. Um, it was the first camera that had, a biotar on it or the first one that was like mass uh mass marketed uh camera with a biotar lens anyway um the right dead center in the first cemented group of this lens there is a snowflake separation which it literally looks like a like a tiny snowflake with little branches little arms you know um some people think see that and think that it's fungus and it's not it's actually what it is is like probably a little little teeny speck of dust that when the lens was manufactured there was a teeny tiny speck of dust that got cemented in there between those two elements and over time you know the because there's a physical thing in there that that the lens separates and it makes that kind of like veiny looking thing and it's maybe this this little separation snowflake is maybe you know it's like a millimeter or so um, millimeter and a half. And it's definitely there. It's a little bit, it's like just kind of off center, zero effect on photos ever. You'll never see it. You know what I mean? So I was like, I don't care. It's, you know, it's probably not going to get any bigger. It's probably been that way for 60 years. Um, so it, you know, it, the fact that it's positioned in the front group, it just, it's, it's just invisible. You're never going to see it. Uh, so Simon, What's new, Simon, with you, Simon? Well, as I've already hinted uh, or mentioned before, I've, I've, I've picked up a load of gear uh, recently, and I'm surrounded by it as well at the moment. Well, and there's plenty of interesting stuff, and there's also plenty of interesting stuff I've given to my uh, repairman as well, so I can't, I can't remember what I've given him now, but he's, he's taken a load of gear as well. Um, it's like, where do I start? Well, I think the first place I want to start is with another 135 millimeter lens and it's a lens that we don't talk about very often because it's a relatively uncommon lens uh, and especially when we start talking about sleeper lenses this is actually it's a good tip for people to um, have a have an eye out for uh, because people think that this is a ordinary lens and it, it's, it's quite unassuming and it's the Vivitar 135mm f2.8 which we've talked many times about and uh, Carl talk, is just be, was talking about his earlier when he could, I still can't say it the way that he says it well I can but I don't want to and that's uh, Coma <laughs> Mini um, um, I'd say, I would rather I'd, I still would rather call it Coma even though I, I know that that's not right either but it just doesn't sound Coma doesn't sound right in English no e exactly now, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the the special Vivitar lens uh, made by Comine or <laughs> um, whoever um, is uh, is the 135 millimeter 2.8, and uh, and it has an all metal 
uh, focus ring, and it's um, yes, and it's uh, so it's not rubberized, and it doesn't have a knurled pattern. It's 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 basically like um, uh, I almost hesitate to say this, but I, I think you'll start sniggering if I say ribbed. Um, I would never, no, Simon, no, never. Well, it, laugh. It's, it's it's it has a ribbed. <laughs> Um, uh, fine for your pleasure exactly yeah uh, I think that, that quote's not quite right but it's close enough um, and uh, so it has this ribbed uh, focus ring and uh, and that and it also has eight blades as well and that is yeah. the uh, the the Vivitar 135mm 2.8 that, that we wholeheartedly rec um, recommend on, on the podcast now yes the late, there are later versions that have got uh, rubber grips. There might be an intermediate one with a rubber grip and eight blades that may have the same optics as the earlier one. Um, and it is literally the reason why we say uh, go for the older metal one is it does have different optics to the later one. They cheapen the design uh, later, later on. Um, but there's another one. There is another uh, Vivitar um, made by Comine again because actually some of these are actually made by Takina as well thinking about it but yeah. it's the Comine's one the Comine lenses are the, are the ones to go for uh, these all metal ones but there's another Comine lens that you don't hear of, of very often and it's and it's quite um, the the you it's, it's interesting you get whenever a lens has got the ability to be described as macro then mm -hmm. almost certainly a, a lens manufacturer will write the word macro on there in big capital letters as a, as a, as a selling point. Um, yet this lens, it's the Vivitar 135mm 2.8, and then it says uh, auto telephoto close focusing. And uh, yeah. it's actually a one to two lens. It's a one to two macro lens, 135mm. Yeah, it doesn't actually say it's macro. It's got the macro scale on there. You know, it, it's, uh, you know I can mm. read it down to one to two. And I've had one of these before, and it was a lens that I actually re regretted selling. But then again, it's it's I've had so many 135 millimeter lenses, and I've got <laughs> so many good 135 millimeter lenses, including the course of the uh, the wet on wet uh, Boca Boca Raynox lens. Um, that um, I don't know if I regret selling it or not, but I've I've taken pictures with uh, the one I had before that were absolutely excellent. But it, it, I think it's a, a lens that people should look out for, especially when it's not advertised on eBay as close focusing, which means that every time you yeah. go looking for a, a Vivitar lens of, of this this nature, you've got to see a picture uh, at the front of the lens um, because. Actually, there are some giveaways on on the on the side of the lens as well. But generally speaking, you want to see the words close focusing because if you see those words close focusing, then it is a this is a superior lens. It's got more practicality. It's got one. It's got one to two macro setting on it, and it's very very sharp. You know, so it's a, it is a better lens. So uh, that's a tip of the week there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and th and there's a 135 lens. I will say lives up to the hype for sure. I mean, that's it's a really nice lens. I've I've seen those and shot those too. They're really nice. They are. Um, and actually, one of my oldest lenses that I have from all the way back when I first got my real camera kit, my first camera kit, is oh god, I just looked at it the other day. Uh, I want to say it's a 70 to 210 Vivitar, and it's it is marked macro focusing. I don't think it's marked close focusing. I think it's marked macro focusing. Um, and oh my God, that lens is so, it is so sharp. 
I mean, it's it's like prime lens sharp throughout the entire range, and the the macro focusing end is like incredibly sharp. It's a really really nice lens, and I've kept it all these years. Um, and it's funny because one of the other lenses that I have that is part of that original kit is a uh, Vivitar twenty eight millimeter two point eight that is marked close focusing. Um, and that's also an excellent lens. And I, I think both of those in particular, the 28 millimeter, it's funny. We talked so much about 28 and 135 millimeter lenses and they're sort of like the, the world is a wash in them. And it's almost like you can't make a bad one except for the wet on wet one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I would say that these two are, they're both excellent. So any of those Vivitars, and I, I have a feeling that they might have been marketed in the same era, um, but that my Vivitar 28 millimeter that's marked close focusing, I have also kept up to the present day because it, it is, it's a fantastic lens. So yeah, some of the old Vivitars, I mean, they, they had something like a dozen different companies making lenses for them under the Vivitar name. And some of them are just really, really good. Um, so they're, I think they're worth, keeping an eye out for um because you can really get a gem and sometimes very inexpensively uh, i think it's actually worth uh, so we talk about vivitas in general uh that if you do a a, a google search or whatever uh, you wish wish to use and just type in vivitar serial numbers uh, right. you'll you'll find uh, a few resources out there uh, that will that you can use that was most not all uh, and it depends on the era the very early vivitars don't apply and the very late vivitars don't apply but the uh, the ones in the middle uh, yeah. which is most of them um, if you look at the first two numbers of the uh, of the serial number they will match up with the manufacturer of the, yep. of that lens yep. so whether that be yeah. Kiron, Tokina, uh, uh, Comine or or, or or many others I think Olympus is on that list as well although I've never actually yeah. seen an, uh, an Olympus yeah. Vivitar I don't even know what that lens is so if anybody does know what that lens is I, uh, let us know unless you know Johnny actually I think I have one oh. Uh, because I've I've done the same thing as you and looked through that list and you know looked at I think I have one somewhere in my bins over here. Um, and what's actually interesting about that serial number list, and we we can put this in the podcast notes, is um, uh, some of the early Vivitars predate that list. And I'm thinking specifically here of our infamous 85 millimeter 1.8. Yeah. Um, that, that, that lens is not, it predates the numbering system, which has always been part of the mystery behind those, um, team out preset, uh, Vivitars. Um, and actually I have a story about one of those lenses. So, uh, the, the 85 1.8 that I just mentioned is a lens that I know Simon, you are well aware of. Um, I am well aware of it. It's one of the, I think probably one of the earlier, uh, manual focus lenses that we, we both mm. had, right. When we yeah. started adapting. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I've always had a really a, a fascinate fascination with that lens. I have a lot of, I have several of them, um, uh, because every time they turned up cheap, I would buy them. Um, but, but what I found out was there was a, a one thirty five two eight that is almost identical. It's the same construction it, i mean you could almost mistake it for the uh 85 18 uh, because they look so similar but it's a 135 28 so i looked and looked and looked and couldn't find one and i finally found one and i bought it and i was so excited because i'm like oh, i'm gonna have these two lenses and they both kind of function the same they look the same it'll be really cool and i i started doing some test shots with it i was like 
what's going on with this lens? Because no matter what I did, this lens was not sharp. I mean, like not sharp. I'm like, it's a 135. It's got to be sharp. <laughs> and so, so I'm stopping it down. I'm like, I got to F11. I'm like, it's a little bit sharper. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then I realized I started looking around and all of the sample images that I found online looked exactly the same. <laughs> so it was all, I mean, it's, it's so bad that it's almost like, did they just forget to put a lens element in or two or three? I don't know because it's the, literally the worst rendering 135 I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just, I mean, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. It has this amazing, creamy, uh, smooth rendering, character that i think some people might really enjoy it's sort of a smooth on smooth rendering <laughs> <laughs> um actually, just going, going back to that the the, the 1.8 there which I, I, th yeah. I think we were in agreement that we that that was made by takina uh, i believe so yeah yeah, that, yeah. That, that's that's well that's what the internet sort of says anyway yeah um, right um and it wasn't that long ago when i had the uh, canon 85 1.8 uh, pass through and and I, it was it's it's a, that was an in, interesting lens I, I, i've had two of them now i haven't i didn't i didn't i decided not to keep it i decided to let yeah. it go um, yeah. and one of the main reasons why i didn't particularly care for it uh, was just the weight of the thing i mean it, it's, <laughs> it's a heavy lens yeah, yeah but it's but the thing is though i mean when we were chatting a few weeks ago with uh, with bob and mike uh, we were talking about the the the, the Nikon LTM eighty uh, five f two and uh, joking about just how heavy that is as well, uh, sure. which which it is. But it's it's lighter than the Canon, but more to the point, it's a lot shorter than the Canon. Yeah, uh, the Canon is, yeah. is certainly not a a sonar copy. I don't know what what it is. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. back to I think I did find out once, but uh, it's a, it's not a sonar, <clears throat> and. The 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 balance of the lens is is not great either because it's it's very front hairy front heavy, and yep. th and it's a it's two years ago at least since I actually sold that Vivitar, um, but I just remember now that has the same kind of front heavy feel about it, and I I just wonder actually if it was a rip off of the uh, of the Canon, uh, eighty five one point eight. That's it's certainly possible, you know, mm. certainly certainly is possible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly re reminds me. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, onto onto other things, and and seeing, and I'm going to stay on Vivitar. Actually, I've got a few Vivitars I've, I've picked up, and and uh, the thing that I've got in front of me now is, and you can find these things usually pretty cheaply on on eBay as well. And I I keep an eye out for these things sometimes, especially if they've got fungus. Um, is the Vivitar two times macro focusing teleconverter? Oh yeah, and. This particular one is uh, on MD mount. It's actually now it's the only, it's the only yeah. MD mount lens I own. Funnily enough, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, apart from another lens I converted to MD mount, which was which wasn't made by Minolta either. Um, yeah. But uh, this is this is a particularly interesting piece of kit because it's quite well. It's relatively easy uh, to take out the <clears throat> the optical block out yeah. out, of, out of this. And then you're you're left then with a effectively a, a large focusing helicoid, so right. um, so that can be a, a a useful way to to mount things like projection lenses and, and things like that, especially if they they aren't too uh, broad in diameter. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
so that's a that's a, a nice little uh, thing to to keep an eye out for there. And yeah, I'd say I've done I've done the same, Simon. I've I've done exactly what you just said. Uh, used it, basically used it as a helicoid. It's really nice. Yeah. So yeah. that only only really works for your for your slimmer. Uh, right lenses uh model yeah. Uh, yeah so so particularly good like if you're going to adapt uh, a smaller format projection lens to micro four thirds or to fuji or something like that it's uh, right it's, it's quite a good little option to uh, uh to do that for some things um yep. and then the final actually no it's not even the final viviton i'm going to going to talk about but because i've picked up two uh two more macro lenses uh th this week and i've shared a photograph oh you're in a tarot with the macro lenses yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's they just they just it's just how it is sometimes they just they just come to you so i picked right three. they do they, it all comes in waves it's funny that's it so the the one i'm looking at at this moment um is the vivitar 90 millimeter f 2.8 uh made by our friends in comine again uh because it's a 28 uh is the start of the serial number so that's a comine lens and there are there are two particularly famous um macro lenses by vivitar of uh of this 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 nature you've got the the 90 mil here and the other one being the 85 uh series one uh 85 millimeter f 2.5 there's a the, the 90 mil 2.8 is sort of the um oh it's it's the underling it's it's the one yeah. that uh you know it, it hasn't really got the same kind of following as the uh as, as the other one um which I'm not entirely sure. I don't actually know how well deserved that the reputation uh, difference is between these two lenses, but yeah. I've I've got the 55 millimeter f 2.8 uh, Vivitar by Comine, and that's a really really good lens. Uh, it's one sure. one of my favourites um, of that kind of focal length, and one of the advantages of uh, the 90 mil 2.8 over the 85 2.5 is that the 90 mil lens has a native one-to-one -one, uh, macro uh, ability. So in other words, you can, if you're using it on a full frame camera, if you're at one-to-one, -one, which is the, the fullest extension and uh, as far as the lens will, will go, uh, then the object that you're taking a photograph is going to be the same size as, as it will appear on the sensor. That's effectively what one-to-one -one means. So a lens that goes one-to-two means that you actually, um, say you, you're taking a coin at one to one, the coin will be exactly the same size as the sensor, uh, and if you're at one to two, it'll be half the size of the sensor. So right. it's to do pretty much to do with the, the the magnification there. And a lot of these lenses of the day, like the uh, the, the Tamron and uh, and and some of the others, are, are one to two lenses. Then they need to have a, a an extra piece of kit uh, to right. go between right. the lens and the camera as an extension <clears throat> of some description and uh but the but this lens which doesn't doesn't get all the plaundits uh is uh one-to-one -one natively um so yeah i'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to giving that yeah. a go that's a that's a nice one i i you know i hadn't seen that lens until in person until about a year ago and i i was like wow i want this because <laughs> i have the you know i have the 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 other one you mentioned the, the what the 50 55 228 yeah which i'm pretty sure that one's natively one-to-one -one as well i have because i have that one and that was one of the things that made it really attractive but the 90 is in some ways a better working distance so um yeah that's a cool and they're about the same size it's a really neat lens so and it's um it, it, i think probably the uh well, call it the Bokina, right? The uh, 90, 90 millimeter, what, 2.5? Yeah. 
is nice, but as you said, it has that life that extra converter on it to make it one to one. Now that lens is really, really well built, um, and is a nice lens. And I think without the converter, it's probably at its best, and it's it's really something. But um, yeah, I mean, if you really want it for the macro ability, having a one to one built in without any additional kind of add on optics is awfully nice. And and just just to ex- ex- explain what the uh, the functionality difference uh, that that one to one native ability just means that you can go from infinity all the way through to one to one. Whereas if right. you want to go uh, to that level of magnification with 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 the Tamron ninety two point five or uh, or the the Bikinas, um you you, yeah, you have to put this 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 extension on. It's probably about a fifty mil extension, some, something like that, yeah. which immediately means that. Uh, you you lose your ability to go back to infinity, so yeah. you have to work within a, a quite narrow range. So you've got to be quite committed that yes, I am going to be working very very close to my subject matter. Therefore, I'm going to put this this thing on, um, which yeah, and that's actually one of the reasons why. Uh, I mean, I've got the Tamron. 92.5 which which is a great lens it's, it's interesting enough I, I prefer it on micro four thirds than i than i do when i put it mm. onto my sony i don't really know why um but the 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 lens that i would pick up uh, prior to picking these other lenses up um is the Kiron, uh the Kiron 105 millimeter yeah. 2.8 uh which is one-to-one so and, and it's just that extra bit of usability to go from very close to very far without having to mess about with it, which it just, for me, that just makes it a, a, a great lens. So yeah, it'll be interesting to get out and actually use this, this 90 yeah. mil uh, uh, Vivitar. Um, but I've, and we've mentioned it now, I've, I've picked up the, uh, the series one, which you've mentioned there um, by Turkina, uh, mm-hmm. 85 millimeter F 2.5. Um, and that's a that's a lens that's got a, a stellar reputation, yeah. and uh, yeah. and I've already mentioned the uh, the nickname. And I mean, in fact, most lenses that have got a nickname, of, of, it's usually a good <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so um, that that particular lens uh, by Tokina, uh, called the Bokina, um, is is famous for uh, you know high quality bokeh. And yeah. what was was interesting when I when I picked that lens up. Uh, more so than when I picked up the uh, the Steinheil that I mentioned earlier, I put that onto the lens onto my camera quite quickly and had a look through it, and it was relatively low contrast, which is yeah understandable because it's a it's a it's an older yeah. older design right. and it's got Bolson separation as well, so that there's, that obviously isn't going to be helping the situation. But I put the uh, the Vivitar Series One on eighty five two point five, and it just brought a smile to my face as soon as I looked through the, the viewfinder. Um, <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've had that experience as well, I, I imagine. The, sure, yeah. It's, it's So you just immediately pick a lens up and you think, wow, this this this, this is great. I mean, other lenses yeah. you, know, you can have where uh, you, you grow into them and sometimes you have to really work at it before you actually realise, actually, this lens is, is worth the effort. Uh, but that one I just picked up and I just liked it straight away. So... Uh, it would wow. not surprise me if that becomes my uh, my favorite, and I, I, I and I no longer worry about going one to one, or I'd keep the other one as one to one, and have one of each and uh, sell the rest. Quite possibly. sure, that's that's great. Well, wow. yeah, um, very good. And 
oh, I'm just wondering, shall we? I'll, I'll do a couple more that I picked up, and I may talk about some others uh, another time. But um, probably the most unusual thing that I picked up was a Dalmaya uh, lens or Dalmaya. Just, just getting it now, just reaching over and uh, hauling it up onto the table. Hope you, hope you're getting the base of this as it uh, drops onto the table. Um, and this is a Dalmaya. What size is it? Five hundred millimeter f five point six, and it's it's, it's almost certainly a ex World War One RAF uh, aerial lens of some description. Um, but I put wow. a, a picture of uh, actually I, I didn't put the picture of the lens up. I just put a picture of the 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 aperture uh, uh, the iris of the lens <clears throat> with the with the title of uh, something online of uh, twenty three blades. Uh, yeah oh yeah I, that's okay i know what you're talking about now yeah yeah and, uh yeah it's a monster of a lens and what's another interesting thing about it it's actually got an adapter on it and the adapter looks like it's from world war Two as well it's not but uh, <laughs> um but i did mention earlier the the hasselblad thousand camera um which i i i thought was going to be similar to a um, the same mount as a, as a, as like the, the Hasselblad 500. And uh, I was looking at it and I was thinking, no, this mount is definitely different. And, um, and the thing is this, this, this adapter, it's, it's really rough and ready, um, but it's been designed to actually go onto one of these uh, cameras, the Hasselblads, with a focal plane shutter because uh, uh, with yeah. most Hasselblads, you, you need to have a shutter in the lens itself uh, for, it, for mm -hmm. it to work for you. Um, but yeah, this isn't, absolute monster of a lens with well i said 23 blades and uh i just wondered if i can actually find it on the uh on the page i think it was uh, a chap called thang uh pointed out to me <clears throat> oh no it's not 24 it's not 24 sorry it's not 23 it's actually 24 blades and uh he'd actually zoomed in on it and actually spotted a blade that i couldn't see because it didn't actually quite make the uh, the image uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah well, 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 well done thang on that one uh, yeah but uh yeah it's an absolute monster but i just would love to have uh, been able to just mount it on something but uh and it was actually so full of fungus and dirt. It's it's not in great condition now, but at least now you can actually see through it. So somebody actually might be able to take a picture of uh, with it at least anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah, bit of a monster. And uh, actually, one last one last lens I want to mention uh, today, uh, and it came with a Pentax um, ES2 camera and i put a picture up on uh instagram and at the time i thought that everything was working perfectly with this camera and uh turns out it it's it's not as good as i first thought it was uh but it's an absolutely beautiful camera it's an all black camera that looks pretty mint but it came with a lens i didn't even know existed uh, until I, I bought the camera and that's a uh it's a pentax super multi-coated takuma um 100 120 millimeter f 2.8 oh yeah you mean the takamar yeah <laughs> what, did I, oh, what did i call it then <laughs> nothing okay, okay you didn't say anything just keep it's, continue it's, on Simon. A, yeah one of those um <laughs> it's attack <laughs> super it's multi attack. There you attack. Go. It's yeah attack. and uh but yeah 120 millimeter um knew i knew nothing of its existence until i bought this camera um so it's 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 that lens that when 105 millimeter is too short and 135 millimeter is too long um they made they gave you 120 millimeter instead so uh 
I've I've yet to use it, but it just and it, it's just it's it just goes back to the days where where manufacturers of cameras just seem to just do things because they thought that there was a market there before the days of market yeah. research well, and things I, like that. I well, I don't know though. I have a feeling that that because that lens is one of the SMC tax tax, and it, it, it specifically. Um, is meant to work on the F, the um, Spotmatic F, which is the Spotmatic that, or is it the EES? No, it's, or it's, it's the ES. Yeah, the ES. Okay. Yeah, and the ES too. Right, which which supports open aperture metering, but only with a, a, some of the SMC Tecmar lenses, um, and that that being one of them. So I have a feeling when that camera was released, um, they probably released that one twenty at the same time, which was yeah. sort of a, you know, it was odd enough that it would have been, been um, a good marketing move because first of all, Pentax was really hurting because the, the let's face it, the M42 mount does not work well as an auto aperture mount, which is part of the problem with M42, which is why they dumped it and they went to Pentax K. But anyway, they, it would have been a fairly smart marketing move on their part to, you know, sell a new camera with a new lens in a focal length that was a bit unusual um, it, it, it was probably at least noteworthy in the, in the, in the, in the press at the time. So I, I have a feeling that's, that may be why that lens exists, but who knows? Somebody probably knows the whole story. Yeah. We'll dig around. We'll see if we can find it. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely little thing. So, uh, yeah. um, yeah, looking forward to giving, giving this one a go. So, uh, nice. I, I think I've done enough of, uh, talking about the things I've picked up. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we can talk more at an, another time. Let, now then we have had a question come in. Yes, we have. Um, so, uh, let's, let's, let's do the question. All right. And, um, Simon has volunteered me, of course, to read the question because, Simon doesn't read the emails. He just he just receives the emails and sends them to me to read. Um, so this email, I believe I'm going to try to get the name right. I'm uh, I, I believe it's Vista Ven uh, because we got a, a W, which I'm thinking gets pronounced as a V, and then we have a V in the last name that just gets pronounced as a V. So I'm going to go with Vista Ven, which sounds we think either probably Dutch. We think. Um, tell us if we're wrong. Uh, I have a suggestion for the podcast topic. How do you guys make the right prices for the sell of lenses? Uh, not all lenses are on eBay to look what the best price is, uh, what to look for when you make up the final price. So a pricing question. Yeah. Um, I, should we go over to Carl for this one? Okay, sure. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been skulking in the background to make sure that nothing wrong was said while I was. Away. I thought you were gone. Yeah, yeah we didn't actually we didn't we didn't tell anybody that you left the room. Uh, so <laughs> no, I, everybody just assumed you were ignoring the conversation and buying lenses. Yeah, like someone someone's secretary sent me a information that was an hour early, so I went over to a meeting that doesn't start until eleven o'clock. So whoa, whoa, whoa um, hold on, can we back up for a second here? Yeah, can we back up? Let's just bring that beat back. So, Carl, you're telling me that you got my ass out of bed at 6 a.m. on my day off to be on a 7 a.m. podcast <laughs> because of a meeting that was scheduled 
actually an hour later than hey, I didn't do it. Is that I what you're telling me, Carl? Mis- I did not make the mistake. Oh my god. I did not make the mistake. This is okay, this is um, this is what happens when you, you are so it, so powerful in life that you have secretaries and underlings. I did not make the mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Blame it on uh, the underlings, Carl. I I've but I've I've received an apology. Where's my and I'll apology? pass it along to you. I'll pass it along to you. <laughs> <laughs> Send me an hour of sleep back, Carl. Hey, man, I had to go sit over in a outside of an office for 15 minutes. Oh, read my emails. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> selling lenses, selling lenses on eBay. Okay, so well, in, um, well, I think it's in, in particular lenses that are rare or uncommon, and it's difficult to actually find out any any information about a lens. How would you actually assign a value if you were deciding to sell that lens? Oh, that's what he wants to know. Rare lenses so the, so uh, that you can't even find on eBay. Um, I, God, that would be... T- I probably... I, I would put them on auction. And and then I would and I would and I would describe the, I mean, first so of all, you're yeah, just I, saying you're just gonna you're just no, gonna. I've never so I've, I've never had one before, and so I mean, I I describe them the characteristics in huge detail, um, um, every single um, you know tiniest flaw that the thing has, from a little scratch on the outside to any anything at all going on inside. Um, I post photos. I post a link to my Flickr page. I let them know that I'm a U.S. seller and that I'll stand behind what I sell to them, um, and that um, it won't arrive with a, a tiny scratch or some or a bubble of, of oil in it or you know so forth. Um, so when there, so uh, I'm, let me tell you what I do when there's lenses that I can compare against. Um, I'll, I'll look at what they're listed for, and then I'll um, I'll look at what lenses have sold for, and um, if, if the only place you can get the lenses is Japan, and I have one here in the U.S., and, and I can demonstrate with photos that it's a fantastic lens, and people know that I've taken really good care of it, I'll, I'll usually get a little bit more for it. Not a huge amount more, but I'll, get, I'll expect to get more for it. Um, but if there was a lens that I've never seen on eBay and can't find on eBay, um, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know that I would put it up as a buy it now. I probably well, wouldn't do it that way. Um, I'd Simon, research you, it. And I don't want to. Do you want to yeah. jump in, Simon? Or I mean, I definitely have a story about this. But yeah, I, okay. I, I think I'd like to hear what uh, what you have to say, uh, Johnny. Because I mean, this is something that you probably would actually come across as well. You know, working with <laughs> central camera. I was going to say this comes up all the time because we, I mean, we get things in the shop and we have to put them out on the shelf with a price. Um, and you know, sometimes, yeah, they're hard to find. I, I, w- I will say this. I, I think that um, 90% of the time, if you dig deep enough into sold listings on eBay, which means you do a search and in those search parameters, you go into um, listings that have sold versus active listings. I, I would say that 90% of the time you'll either find the item or find a very similar item that gives you enough of a clue on price that you can make a, you know, a reasonable um, assumption on what a good price would be. Um, 
so we do that a lot, but then there are, there are times where things, yeah, they just, it's an unusual enough lens that it just, there's nothing there. And I've, I, this happens, I would say at least probably once a week, I come across something where there's just, there's nothing. Um, so then, I mean, the other thing we do is check other sources. I mean, other places that have sold things other than eBay in the past. Uh, sometimes you can find a, you know, a listing for something. Um, and then, you can also, if there, that's no good, you can look at other active listings and get an idea of what things, well, what are other people asking for it? Um, and then kind of take that into consideration. Um, and then sometimes, yeah, you just, you know, you just have to try to make a reasonable, you know, a reasonable guess. Uh, this, I did this on Saturday actually, because um, somebody called the shop and said they were looking for a five by seven monorail view camera which that's a little bit unusual um so i went digging around in the large format section and actually we we had something um which is a linhoff uh carden color uh five seven which i think in uh what is that in metric simon five seven what do you guys call that a five by seven uh, we call is it that a, we, we call it seven by five so well, okay, all right. I thought there was, I thought you did did it in centimeters too. Okay, seven by five. Well, anyway, I, we had a Lindhoff Carden Color five by seven monorail view camera. This thing weighs, uh, I mean, easily. It's got to be fifteen pounds. It's ridiculous. It's like got the biggest rail I've ever seen on a camera ever. It's like solid cast. Um, it's beautiful, but it's it's really unusual, and I couldn't find really anything out there. So I did, but I did find a couple of active listings for them and I found some background on the camera. So I just kind of like took all that into consideration and put a price on it, which now this was a retail camera store price. So it was going to be higher than an online price, but it would you know close to their online price. So sometimes you just have to like balance several factors, but if you, if you can find a, a, a listing that's ended a listing that's active and then some background on the item and then just kind of weigh all that together. That's, that's usually where I go with it. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can look at crazy people that list things like there's that guy, uh, that go Kevin cameras guy, um, which I believe he's in Hong Kong and he has like all of the super rare, super mint condition stuff at absolutely just outrageous prices, which I think he sells only to, um, Chinese government officials, I think, pretty sure. Only like oh collectors in, in China that have like multi millions of dollars they don't know what to do with. So I think that's his only target market. And he just prices stuff ridiculous. But at least then you can get like a, an insane outlier price. And you, you can go under that by 30% and know that if somebody sees a crazy price and then sees a more reasonable price, maybe it'll sell um but yeah the other thing carl mentioned a lot of times you'll see things listed in japan that are not listed domestically and if it's listed from japan at a price with shipping of you know 35 dollars additional well there's your price it's the price of the item and the price of the shipping because yeah you know you're doing it local so you can just fold the shipping price in as well so and yeah it, it's basically it, what will the market bear <laughs> so and i think um if, if you buy a lens from Japan and there is a problem with it, getting it back is not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. In my, in my experience, there's, there's the seller not wanting to take it back. There's the extremely high cost of sending it back. You think it's mm -hmm. expensive to buy from Japan. Try sending a lens back to Japan and you're talking 55, 65, 
seventy dollars to mail a lens back. Yeah. And um, and, and so if so when I want so if it, if it's in the U.S. and you know that it's in really good condition and you don't have to um, worry about how the person's describing it, that 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 carries value. It's almost like having it be in your camera shop. I was just thinking about interesting thing while you were talking. Wouldn't it be cool if you were in Los if you were in Las Vegas, and someone brought into the into the Pawn Stars uh, show an old camera kit, and they said, "We need to call our camera expert," and you called you up and you got to be on there and <laughs> talk to Rick and those. <laughs> that was going through my mind. Well, that's kind of like the Bob Rodoloni story, right? I mean, he, that's kind of how they got him on Pawn Stars, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, okay, well, just uh, I'm I'm not going to add too much from uh, what you guys have already said there because e- eBay is the uh, the fountain of most knowledge when you're talking yeah. about uh, uh, prices. And uh, just just to reiterate, uh, the 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 price that uh, it's it's so important to look at what lenses have sold for rather than what yeah. they're actually listed listed for uh, because the the discrepancy the discrepancy between uh, fantasy and reality on eBay can be truly <laughs> enormous, um, and and I'm not necessarily saying that this is this is fantasy or not, but um, and it's it's interesting. We talk about selling lenses and working out a price. Well, you know, as you, as I've mentioned earlier on in the show, I I bought a lens uh, recently which I had no knowledge of, and that was the that Steinheil Macro Quinar uh, 100 mil 100 millimeter 2.8, and the only one I could find. Uh, is a lens that is currently for sale and and it's something like a thousand dollars um and i'm there thinking well is this a thousand dollar lens really um <laughs> but at the moment if you want to go out and buy one you've and you want it enough you're gonna to have to pay a thousand dollars for it so does right. that make it a thousand dollar lens well possibly yes possibly not um so you're in this 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 limbo land and uh um so so yeah, so say you get to the point now where I mean I'm going, I will be selling uh, the, the the Steinheil, um, and I've also got the added complication that it's it's got bolts and separation, and that is not going to get repaired. I mean, as much as I'd love to send it off to my, uh, Matthew Duclos to uh, separate the lenses, having uh, um, pulled pulled the elements out of it and boiled them for five days, and uh, I was going to say, yeah. why don't you just boil it? Yeah, Simon. yeah. Well, it's um, that's only that's only part of the uh, the thing, isn't it? Yeah, you then got to you know, you know clean everything, yeah. polish it down, and uh, yeah. and find something other than balsam. Uh, not that I can find any balsam lying around either, um, and put the things back together again. So it's you know it's it's a big job. It's expensive to do that that properly. And I think even at a thousand a thousand pounds a thousand dollar lens, it probably isn't worth actually uh, uh, the amount of time and money and expense it would take to actually get that uh, split and ready. So, um, and and Carl already hit upon uh, what I would do right at the start of this. Uh, and the key is, uh, if you're uncertain of something, um, bang it on as an auction. Um, but sure. you've the 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 other part to that is what is your starting price, um, and. And the, the thing is, if, if when something's really well known, um, you know, say you got a Leica lens or something like that, um, it, it, you could you could start most Leica lenses off at at, a, at 99 pence or 99, 99 cents or something like that, and it will probably reach its market value. In many cases, I've I've done 
silly low prices on, on on auctions and they've achieved more than i would have put it on as a buy it now um that 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 can happen um but that's when you're selling something that everybody knows about and there's a you, there's a yeah. known demand yeah. for but if i was to put that macro quinar on at 99 pence and see where it goes it might go for 30 pounds you yeah know, and right and nobody's looking for it nobody <laughs> knows it exists and so right why? exactly yeah. so so you've still got to make some kind of judgment call and and it's pretty much exactly what uh what john is, is has gone through and there's a just a couple of other things that you can look at there's a site called collector blend um which is a really odd name for a website and uh it's Sometimes you can get some good information out of it. Sometimes it's uh, it's hopelessly outdated, uh, but that seems to track uh, auctions, uh, proper physical auctions, uh, and give you some idea on some prices. And you can you can actually find out some really uh, odd uh, information out uh, on on Collector Blend so that might give you a bit of an idea. Um, but another way uh, of doing it is you know in in the in the US you'll be looking at ebay.com I'll be looking at ebay.co.uk um yeah. but you can type in different ebays from around the world and look at uh, at sold prices in different parts of the world and sometimes you'll find a lens that's uh uh, that somebody for, for me I'll, I'll if i can't find it on in the uk site i'll see if any have sold in america or any for sale in america and sometimes i can then find that extra piece of information so it's that that could be another source of finding information out about prices yeah absolutely i it's it's interesting you you'd say that strategy simon because we this does happen a bit with us too and it's like yeah where do you where do you put something you know, what do you put something on eBay as if you don't know how much? And I think we, I guess we probably follow a different strategy, which is, well, put it up high. And if it doesn't sell, keep dropping the price. And eventually somebody will buy it when the price gets low enough. But at least then you're controlling where the price is. It's just you have to be able to have the patience to let it, you know, slowly percolate down for however long you want to hang on to it there's a there's a danger there though sometimes you can convince yourself that actually this really is an expensive piece of equipment and therefore it should be at a high price i mean there's a particular example that keeps on popping up on ebay at the moment and uh, somebody's selling a petri uh, 135 millimeter f1.8 which is almost certainly the same lens that you can get this in in different uh, in different brands uh, except this one's with with a, a more difficult mount, and it's a it's a very nice lens. And I think he was trying to sell it originally for around about nine hundred pounds or something like that, and which is just a ridiculous price for it. Uh, yeah. Even if it was like meant an M forty two, it would not be yeah. a nine hundred pound lens. Um, yeah. And I think it was nine hundred pounds. It was certainly expensive, and it, and he it, it, it's been I think it's been on sale now for about a year, and the price gets dropped a little bit and a little bit, and I think it's still at like about six hundred pounds now, and it's still way <laughs> over where where it's at. So yeah. you've you've, you've the, uh, you can convince yourself, I think, if you that. You know, these things are worth a lot more than they are. And you just think that the right person is going to come around the corner next time and they're going to buy it. Well, no, they're not. It's just yeah, it's, it's funny because it, my favorite example of that is a camera that we've talked about often and a camera that um, uh, started the um, the Petri uh, cult, uh, <laughs> the Petri green nomadic cult, which is my, my uh, Petri um, color corrected Super F 1.9. Um, there is a... The, there is exact same camera that I have posted on um, eBay for at least the past year 
that says rare edition and it's posted by someone from the United Arab Emirates and the current price is buy it now $385. (laughs) Um, And immediately below that, there is exactly the same camera um, currently posted for $14 with four bids. Now that camera says parts only not working, but as we know, it's just a matter of time before any Petri camera is parts only not working. So you might as well buy the one for parts and you know, get somebody pay somebody a hundred dollars to fix it. So now you're going to spend one hundred and fourteen dollars on the camera versus three hundred eighty-five. Um, and if I if I scroll down, there is another crazy person uh, who is posting their color corrected super. Uh, oh no, here's another one that is. Oh, that's just the cap. Never mind. Hold on. There, I saw the same camera uh, further down. I think for one ninety-nine, which is still kind of in crazy town, but. Um, it, yeah, one ninety nine or best offer. Uh, same, same. So there, there are some crazy people out there. And then there's another one, slightly different version, that says it's working for thirty five dollars. So yeah, well, thirty five. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> so you know, I I have I have four of them now, and um, I paid between fifteen and twenty five dollars for each one, and um, well, three of them are bricks now, uh, but um, they did work. I got a roll of film out, at least one roll of film out of every one. And I, I loaned I loaned one of them to um, Anthony a, a few weeks ago, and I told him, "Listen, when you were using it during the roll of film, it might it might the shutter might lock up. Don't worry, because <laughs> you broke my camera. That that's just part of the excitement of the camera that you never know when you take a photo. It might be your last one. <laughs> it's okay. But he got a whole roll, and it's still it's still shooting. So, yeah, but actually, I, I realized the other day that I got the shutter going again on the. I have the one that you're talking about, but it's the 2.8, and um, I whacked it on the top of a, a counter, and yeah. I got the shutter working again. It's yeah. working right now, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a valid that's a valid repair method for a Petri. I'm yeah. just wondering if that's yeah. going to work with this Minox in front of me. I've got to try it. I've, do it now. Do it live. Yeah. Do it live. Yeah. Yeah, do it. Let's so, hear what it sounds like. As yeah, let's hear it live. It oh, apart. I'll, I'll, t- I'll quickly tell the story. It's a Minox 35 ml. Beautiful. Looks like it's never shot the photograph. Um, and it's a, it requires a certain battery, and I've got the right battery for it. Um, it was firing without the battery. I think it was anyway. Um, and then I've got it, and I've got it in front of me. I'm just winding it on. I have to double double stroke there for johnny um and, all right uh, it's um and it, it it worked and then i put the battery in it i think it worked and then it stopped but uh let's just let's just give it a go give it a whack <laughs> okay no 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 you didn't hit it hard enough simon <laughs> <laughs> oh, one more go then. I'll, I'll, Throw it at Flynn. I'll, Throw I'll it cop. at Flynn and then see if it's still working. I'll cop, I'll cop, see if it's cop not the shutter first. Oh. Okay. That might make a difference. Here we go. That sounded good. Okay. And no. There you go. Okay. Right. Sometimes heating them up just a little bit in an oven. Yeah, yeah just a little, like 500 degrees for... <laughs> Half an hour, yeah, so to, it melts. To make sure whether that's centigrade or Fahrenheit, though, yeah, you might yeah. go might go wrong otherwise. Um, yeah, exactly. So I would just while we're on the subject of Petri's, real quick, Carl, you still have not actually bought the right Petri. You, you keep buying those sevens and seven S's. I have a seven S, right? And it says color, yeah, it says Greenomatic on that. Actually, yeah, but that's not the same camera. That's the later one. You you get you have to you still need to get the old. School. I do have the old. I have the old old school one but you it's do a 2.8. I, yes i do absolutely okay I'll are you a 2.8 okay all right yeah but it's okay. a 2.8 version okay all right mm-hmm. yeah i have that 
And it works, right? It works. It works. I've shot one roll of film with it. That's it. Well, it's done. It's weird. It's I, I don't <laughs> quit like while you shoot, had. <laughs> I, I only shoot color film in that in that camera. I don't shoot it in any other film camera. I don't know why. Yeah, I shoot. I only shoot color film in my color corrected super because you know it's meant to shoot color and it does brother, look very nice i will say my brother has a smaller one and it has a has blue instead of green. oh he's got that's a nice little camera those are rare those are unusual yeah 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 right now then um well let's i think we'll do shout out shortly um but i just uh just a little bit remiss of me i didn't actually do uh i didn't talk about coffee uh last week Mm. um and uh coffee for those people who don't know that's a way of supporting the podcast um that's uh k-o-f-i uh, dot com and if you go onto that site and search classic lenses podcast uh you'll see our page there and if you if you'd like um you can donate us some money and uh that's uh the money that comes to us it's we are not for profit so it's a case of uh, that goes towards the the running of the uh, uh, the hosting of the podcast, uh, things like giving lenses away, which we uh, did uh, recently, and yeah, upgrades on equipment and things like that. So uh, if uh, you want to support us that way, that's great. If you don't, that's no problem at all. Just carry on listening to us. Um, yeah. But we've had uh, a few donations uh, since I last spoke about coffee uh, two weeks ago. Two of which. Of coming from Nigel Cliff, um, and the first one uh, it said, uh, having won the lens, I'd better be generous and give uh, give you guys a uh, coffee, even though uh, Carl had gone AWOL again. Um, and uh, last week he also donated again uh, and said, uh, although what was that saying? Oh yeah, I, I know I'm not and probably never will be a cinema photographer. That was incredibly interesting. And I was and this is talking there about um, Matthew's uh, show last week. And um, actually, that's the point. I'm, Johnny wasn't actually with us on that show. And Johnny is famous for not actually listening to our podcast. I, I'm just wondering, have you actually listened to last week's podcast yet, Johnny? Uh, whose podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yep. a good, it's a it's a it's a good one johnny do do listen to our podcast it's it's okay. it's, it, it, it's right. good i'll um, make an exception in this case absolutely. I've, I've been meaning to do it yeah. good good um and then uh another one came in this week uh which is uh two coffees for uh two excellent episodes this is from christopher may by the way um and some great guests and he's specifically talking about uh episodes 51 and 52 so that's uh mike Eppman and bob rotoloni for the uh the, the the Nikon fanboy um, episode um, and uh, last week with um, with with Matthew um, and uh, he said the uh, Simon be sure to pick up a PS nine four five for Mary Dan um, Mary Dan be my Meridian five by four camera uh, if if you stop by uh, the Cook Factory um, uh, now there's a lens I want to hear an episode on and uh, I had no idea. Uh, what this lens was so I had to I had to google this lens and it's uh, it's a particularly nice uh, soft focus portrait lens uh, for large format so uh, yeah there's a yeah that will be nice to nice to go around the cook factory which may or may not happen we'll see see if that happens in the future so um, but yeah uh, thank you uh, thank you Nigel and thank you Christopher for using a few donations and also uh, thank you to Lawrence Dunn and James Thorpe who, who actually don't get the names read out every week, but they actually uh, set something up where they actually pay something once a month. So that's, uh, I almost feel like it's um, 
they're disadvantaged for that reason but there you go so uh, but thank you to you guys as well so uh let's move on to shout outs uh johnny have you got any shout outs um i do i i want to give a shout out sort of a a group shout out um i want to give a shout out to ebony uh who is from here in chicago and ebony listens to the podcast which i didn't know i i've met ebony a few times at, at central camera and she comes in and she's a really, really passionate, uh, uh, street photographer, uh, just photographer in general. And, and she, um, she got a Canon P I think based on our conversations about it here on the podcast, she said, and then she, she'd been looking for a, uh, Canon 51.8, uh, lens for the P and we actually finally had one in the shop, uh, last week. Uh, so she got it. So I was I was really excited that we had the lens she was looking for. Uh, it was a really nice copy of the lens too. Everything looked really good on it. So Ebony now has a Canon P with a fifty one point eight, um, amazing combo. Um, and I I hope I hope you're enjoying it, Ebony. And um, we will talk some more, I'm sure, about that. But the thing that I, I found notable about that is that in the last week or two. I think I've seen at least three or four people in our kind of community of um, photo crazies that have gotten a Canon P notably, notably, which are in addition to Ebony are uh, Ricardo Bayon um, of uh, best vintage lenses uh, guest here on this show. Uh, he picked up a Canon P and I believe with a 51 four, which probably has no worms because Simon has all the wormy lenses. Um, no, no, and Carl, Carl guess though. Oh no, he hasn't said anymore though. So he's got a clean lens now. No, he's got the Chicago uh, certified <laughs> yeah, perfect. Chicago Beautiful. perfect mint. Yes. Um, and then, uh, Roger Lund got a Canon P also. So there's at least two. And I, I want to say I saw at least one more person in one of the groups probably the canon rangefinder group that picked up a p so um i am starting to use the hashtag canon popular army for the canon p because it's a movement and i think that everybody should have one um we can i'll I'll put a link out to mike ekman's canon p review he's got one he's he loves it uh hamish hamish is a fan of it i think any um Pretty much any photographer who really appreciates fine cameras and fine, fine lenses is really pretty much a fan of this camera. Um, I I, I don't know that I really have heard of very many exceptions of people who don't like the camera. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I knew I knew it. Is there I think there's someone here that maybe is not a fan. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Right. Because I I sold it after I got a different. No, not you. You've owned one. I'm not talking about it. No, I don't. I sold it. I sold it. I know you did, but you liked it. I liked it okay. I liked it okay, but but shooting (laughs) that shooting that compared to shoot I mean this this Bessa R three A, it's an absolute perfect camera in your hands. It's just it's, per- it's, uh, it's perfect. I don't need any other cameras. Yeah. Well, I'm just. I'm but just, let's say I'm that just... you are interested in a vintage, a vintage LTM camera. Well, I'm, I'm oh, just... oh, oh, right, right. Well, then my then my old uh, my old Leica three A. Well, I'm I'm just just glad to hear that uh, the Carl um, agrees with my underwhelmment of the uh, of the uh, Canon P. 
Um, and I, I took a lot of flack for uh, for saying that. And even yeah, Hamish yeah. Gill had to go up before it as well. But um, but no, it, it's just I just find it completely underwhelming. So, uh, but there you go. But uh, I think the main thing is there are people out there that are loving their Canon peas, and I think that's great, even if yeah. it's not for me. Yeah. Johnny, so um, speaking of re- no, I'll, t- I'll tell you later because I don't want other people to see this camera and then go and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and bid on bid on it because I might want to buy it. Yeah. Okay, no, you got to tell I, them I, about I'm it. I'm done with week. that plan. Yeah, yeah. Talk about it after <laughs> you buy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so any any other shout outs, Johnny? Um. Um. Uh, no. Well, sort of. I don't know. Sort of. I. I. I don't think it's anyone that would be be a listener. So no. That's that's fine. That's okay. fine. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, Carl, have you got any shout outs this week? No, just um, let's say happy birthday to Amon. It's his birthday today. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's right. Happy birthday, BCD. <laughs> Better than SCD. Yep. <laughs> um, actually, that's that's a point. Um, we should also say. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. It's not really happy birthday. It's a happy 200th episode to uh, Mike Ekman and uh, Andre Dominguez. Ah, uh, oh, wrong Mike. The, uh, the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast. Who have wrong been, Mike. Yeah, and they've been wrong they've been Mike. steadily moving towards uh, episode 200 for quite some time. Um, that's a different Mike. Uh, that's a different Mike. Oh, Mike Gutterman. Mike Gutterman. I say Ekman then. Mike Gutterman. Yeah, Mike Gutterman. Right. Yeah. Don't touch yeah, the I'm... mic, baby. Don't no. come near it. Oh, no, Mike no, Gutterman. And I've only listened to the number 199.9 something. <laughs> that's it. There, there, there are lots of fractions of episode 190, 199 that have been going on. Um, I, I don't know if they've actually done 200 at the moment, but um, but yeah. Um, it's a it's, it's it's an achievement and um, and it's an interesting podcast, especially if you're interested in shooting cool film photos. So yeah. um, well well done, Mike and Andre. Yep. So uh, any any others, Carl? No, that's all. No. Okay. And I'm going to have to run again in five minutes, so we're perfect. Well, I, th- I think we're going to wind things up now anyway. So uh, yeah. Johnny, uh, how can people uh, follow you outside of this podcast? It's been like three episodes since I said all this stuff. I don't remember this. Um, you, <laughs> you can uh, follow me on Instagram where I'm going to stop being a slacker and get some new things posted. Um, I'm at System Photography on Instagram. Uh, you can talk to me in person at Central Camera Company. I am there every day but Monday and we're closed on Sunday. Uh, so you can talk to me there in person. Um, and uh, you can... See me occasionally on Facebook in the Classic Lenses Facebook group. And, and, and you can send us an email. <laughs> you can send email to Carl and Simon, which I will be forced to read against my will, um, at uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Anything else on uh, when people post pictures to you, Instagram? Yeah, you should uh, tag your images with best vintage lens and you have a chance to get featured uh, there in the best vintage lens uh, Instagram feed uh, where they will, I'm sure, have a write-up of this episode um, as usual with uh, their, uh, their, their, their fine, fine comments about um, how bad we do this thing here that we call the Classic Lenses Podcast. And uh, Carl, How poorly, I should say poorly. <laughs> poorly? Is it poorly? <laughs> On Instagram at Carl underscore Havens, on Flickr at Carl Havens, and then on our Classic Lens Facebook page. 
and uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I also have a website of the same name. You just need to put co.uk on the end of it. Um, I have an eBay store, which you can find uh, quite a few lenses and more lenses to come, um, such as eventually that Steinau lens will appear on there at some point uh, on, the e on my eBay shop, which is down as It's Fozzy. Um, that's a always bugs me that I have to actually say that because I tried to change my name on there but it, it sticks with the original username so uh, there you go that's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y um, so finally uh, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our Octoblues Octo Blues theme music um, and you can find us all in the photography uh, the Facebook group photography with classic lenses and that and you can go into that whether you're a member of Facebook or not you can still uh, view uh, what, what's gone in there you just won't be able to participate in the chat um, the podcast notes will be in there I'll also put them in mflenses.com as well uh, so you just need to go into the forums there under manual focus lenses um, and that's it so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and it'd be great if you can join us again next week thank you goodbye <laughs>